The Future of Finance is Here podcast looks at the changing landscape of the Australian finance industry. Our industry is financing Australia's future, a future that will be driven by access and choice for consumers, embracing innovation and competition, and generating greater economic and therefore social participation for all Australians. AFIA CEO Diane Tate talks to industry leaders and extraordinary individuals about their experiences, good and bad, and how those experiences have shaped and continue to shape their contribution to our industry and Australia. Hello and welcome to The Future of Finance is Here, AFIA's inaugural podcast series. Today we'll be discussing the current state of our economy, how vital business and consumer confidence is, not just for our recovery now, but for our economy in general. What investment and employment strategies are likely to have the biggest impact on our future? And we'll go through the fiscal and non-fiscal measures that have been introduced by the government to help our recovery and what that means for us today and beyond. Joining me today is Alan Oster, Group Chief Economist for NAB. Alan is one of Australia's leading economists. He's highly sought after for his opinions. So thanks for joining us today, Alan. It's a pleasure. So before we kick into the the nitty-gritty of it all uh, and the latest federal budget and the economic data that's setting the scene for our recovery, can you please explain to me something? What is Keynesian economics? Well, Keynesian economics was was named after John Maynard Keynes, who was basically the father of macroeconomics. But in, in a very simple sense, his theory was that you do get to a situation uh, where at times the private sector won't invest uh, and won't really, and they, they get to a situation where essentially interest rates are so low, people are not interested in doing anything. And in that sort of environment, he was saying you need the government to come in and spend money. So that's like fiscal policy. And so that's where he was really trying to move. Um, a lot of the way we have national accounts, you know, consumption plus investment, etc. cetera, uh, that's all come out of a framework that Keynes put together. And so with all the unpredictability in the world right now, I mean, are you finding yourself being more a predictor than the typical financial forecaster? I mean, you know, what's in your crystal ball? Well, I always know my crystal ball is half broken. So what we try and do is we try and have a consistency view in terms of, you know, if investment goes up, some of it's going to be imported. And so we try and have a big framework. But one of the things that Keynes used to say is your model is only as good as your worst equation. And the worst equation almost always is investment because it's driven by animal spirits. So my sort of two-step process is I have a framework. Number two, I then adjust that framework to more up-to-date information. So I've got data for today, for example, when we look at our uh, transactions that goes across NAB, I know what happened as of last weekend. So we've got that. We know what's happening to revenue. Uh, we think we know what's happening to wages in the labour market on a you know a week old basis. And then we try and plug that in. And then there's some adjustments. That, and these are just basically, I was going to say guesses, but it's probably informed guesses. You know, does that feel right? Does that look like what's actually happening? And so you put it all together, you use things like business surveys. We run our own business survey. We get a lot of detail. Um, You try and get a judgment. But one of the other things that Keynes used to say was, um, if events change, I change my forecasts. What do you do? In other words, if 
events do change and you're unexpected, you should be willing to move your views fairly quickly in line with those events and you should always be testing how accurate are your equations in explaining where you are. So we've seen a lot of surprises last year, Alan. I mean, uh, unprecedented fiscal injection from the government. You know, so what do you see, you know, coming out of that last federal budget? Is it working for us? Well, what we know is the economy has turned around really quickly in the last few months. So I think it's not so much in the budget per se, but things like JobKeeper. So yes, you had a huge stimulus. Uh, essentially, the reason you had the stimulus was because you, you, the government, closed the economy for a health reason. And so the really important things that the government did is it tried to keep people in employment. Um, so JobKeeper initially, uh, a lot of money going in to try and pay for the wages, essentially of people that would otherwise be unemployed. Now, as you come to the budget, I think a couple of things happen. I sort of classify the budget as having four main levers. Number one, they spent their own money. That's called infrastructure, uh, and they funded it by the states as well. Secondly, they uh, backdated and accelerated tax cuts to try and give people more money. And then they did a couple of other things that are more aimed at trying to get businesses to employ and invest. So instant asset write-off for investment. And they're saying if you're unemployed and now you're employed and you're under 35, we'll basically pay for most of your salary. So those things, I think, all add to the idea that the economy has done very well in terms of snapping back, if you like, from the close downs. People are feeling confident about the health outcomes. And in that sort of environment, You've got a chance that these things might work, but it's not likely you're going to get an impact within two months from the budget. But overall, I think the budget was exactly the sort of things that you should have been trained. I think, you know, one of the things that we've observed in the industry um, over the course of 2020 was is just how much uh, confidence levels were jumping around. I mean, yeah. and that business survey, you know, really was, you know, saw some volatility up and down, um, consumer indices similar. I mean, what's yeah. your perspective on it all for the period ahead? I mean, it feels like we're we're in a multi-speed economy and that might be something that we can expect throughout the year. Well, when we talk just purely about confidence, the question we ask tend to say, well, relative to where you are now, will things get better or not? And so we've, we've actually published a survey that had a business confidence measure in it. And it actually went to above long-run averages. A lot of it was Victorian. So if you ask Victorians relative to where you are now and you're out of lockdown, do you think things are going to get better? And they did. But just as importantly, uh, if you look back through time, the same sort of thing in reverse happened around about March, April. Uh, we had the sort of readings we've never seen before. More important in the surveys than confidence is actually what we call business outcomes, uh, or business conditions, and there we saw huge falls early in the year, right. followed by more recently quite strong recoveries, particularly outside of Victoria and also outside of New South Wales. Now it's sort of all coming together. And so I think as I go forward, I would hope to see outcomes continue to improve. The other thing I generally have seen in the surveys in particular, and this worries me a little bit, is whilst people are seeing a lot of improvement in trading and profits, they're not still employing a lot and the capital expenditure is not there. 
So we're not, as the largest business bank in Australia, NAB's not seen a demand for business credit. And in our business survey, businesses are saying, I am not investing at present. I'm going to wait and see what the outcome will be. And we've even had the governor of the Reserve Bank come out and say, hey, guys, if you're in business, don't just leave the money in the bank. Go out and invest and try and get things going. So is that the same story for large business as well as SMEs or is there something going on that's different in, depending on the size of the business? Short answer is they're all pretty similar. Uh, SMEs typically take a lot more to get investment. Most of the growth in business credit comes out of the top end of town. But at this stage, what we're seeing is no real increase at the top end of town, certainly nothing at SME level. Um, so not a lot of difference, I think, is the bottom line. So, Alan, you and I have been talking about the importance of um, incentivising private spending. Um, so effectively, that's what you're saying is we've got to get businesses spending, right? That's exactly right. But again, you've got to have business confident enough to say that incentive is going to work. In other words, yes, you can say I will allow you to write off your investment straight away on the tax purposes, but you've got to actually fund that investment to start with. And then also, yes, you might be heavily being subsidised to someone um, essentially to employ them. But you've got to feel that your business has got enough work, enough demand for them to uh, make this work. And so just thinking about, you know, incentivising business investment um, and talking about what's going on overseas versus in Australia, uh, you know, some commentators are saying we've got it pretty good here. I mean, what do you think? Oh, we've got it very good here. Um, I, when I look at Australia, I think people will say, right, they manage the virus really well. And when I'm talking overseas, they couldn't believe, international investors, this is, that we had 13 cases in South Australia and we closed the economy. And, you know, and then you look at Victoria, which is 20% of the economy, and we've closed it for months. Uh, and, you know, we only had, we had well and truly less than a thousand cases a day at the peak. And so they just say, wow. Then they also look at the economy and our, the damage that did, that was done was less than most people are seeing offshore. And again, that was the government throwing money at the situation and they had the money to throw it. So that's good. I think after we get over this, in 12 to 18 months' time when international travel is working again. I think a lot of people will say Australia's a good place to live. Australia's a good place to invest and to employ. So I'm quite optimistic about the outlook. Sure, I'm sort of very worried about what might have happened in terms of the near term, but I think internationally Australia looks pretty good. We'll, we'll have issues with China, um, but we've got a chance to diversify. And so I'm quite optimistic about the period 20 or the end of 21 into 22 and 23. Yeah, look, I agree with you, Alan. I think economically we've certainly in a better place than what we're seeing overseas uh, and in terms of how we've handled the health crisis. But what I think the government has done really well as well is, is put in place that safety net for the most vulnerable parts of our community. Um, you know, it's not only the right thing to do, but uh, it's, you know, important economically and socially. Is that right? That is exactly right. Um, and I'm, sh I'm sure most people in their heart of hearts, be they Liberal or Labor, would basically say, well, at least the government stepped in and it looks like it's worked. 
And now I think the other thing that's happened is we've been in a phase where the government's just throwing money to keep the economy going. Soon, and I think the next budget is likely to be where this has occurred, they're going to move to saying, look, how can we actually improve economic performance? Can we cut red tape? Can we basically improve a little bit in terms of coordination of policies across states? Um, can we do some industrial relations reform? Can we do some corporate tax reform? Things that will sort of build on the crisis, if you like, and make us look even more competitive in the medium term. And, you know, late last year, the OECD published an update about our economic snapshot, which was positive. Around the same time, the the Reserve Bank governor uh, was a bit more cautious and saying that we can't hide from the reality that this will be a recovery that's uneven and bumpy. And the Treasurer, you know, has been saying for a little while now we're on the road to recovery. So we're out of technical recession. There is good news about a vaccine. We're seeing an increase in private spending. So what are your thoughts for Australia and our longer-term recovery and prospects? Well, I think the way I would summarise it, during the course of this year, i.e. from December, i.e. now to last December, the economy fell about 2% which by global standards is almost nothing. When you then look at the next 12 months, I think we're going to have 4% or more growth, which is, I think, really good. Beyond that, I think you probably go back to more trend growth unless you sort of fix up productivity a little bit more. The sort of negatives, if I can put it that way, is that unemployment will stay high for a long time. When we ended the process uh, of the virus, et cetera, the unemployment rate was about five and a quarter at the end of 2022, we still think it's going to be five and three quarters to six. So there are still issues around there. It's still bumpy. It could well be that when a lot of the stimulus disappears in March, that the economy has a plateau patch. But in the long run, I'm very optimistic. So I could see us will be back to the where we started, if you like, by the end of next year. And beyond that, I think the outlook is quite strong. And so I think Australia is really likely to see a very good period as we go forward. So going a bit deeper into that, um, what are the headline economic issues do you think for this next couple of years? I mean, some people are saying that, you know, we might have the hockey stick recovery and then there could be a lag or plateau or a post-recession kind of economic downturn. I mean, are you concerned about that? I don't, I don't think we'll see a downturn in the sense that you go backwards again, but whether you get faster than trend growth, and trend growth is determined by essentially three things, population, which essentially is completely stalled because they closed the borders, um, participation rates, uh, and a lot of people aren't sort of coming back, and productivity. And I think productivity is really important. So if we can't grow faster than 2 to 2.5% in the medium term, Uh, that's a bit of an issue. Um, So for me, I would hope to see some improvements in the medium term that will push us above 2% growth. And so you've been very clever to tie in some economic theory there, Alan. Uh, You've talked about the three Ps of economic growth, productivity, Mm -hmm. participation and population. Um, You know, obviously we've got challenges in relation to our immigration policies. Um, The government has said we're not likely to have a baby bonus. Is that true? Do you think we really, will we get a baby bonus after all? No, I don't think the baby bonus is all that relevant, to be brutally honest. What's happened is that half of our population grows. So we normally grow about 1.5% per annum, right? 
Uh, half of that, about 0.7, is coming from foreigners coming here to live. That has actually gone negative rather than positive. So we're going to get growth in population of about 0.5, maybe 0.6 this year. Uh, the last time we had that sort of growth was 1917 when we were sending people off to war. So trying to get the po local population to uh, essentially be more productive in terms of uh, getting extra kids, et cetera, isn't really going to make a lot of difference. What's going to make a difference is vaccine and people saying, hey, this is a good country, I'd like to live there. And I think a vaccine looks, well, encouraging, uh, and I think you, our assumptions are that essentially international borders won't be completely reopened until at least the end of 21. The good news, I think, in the short term is the local borders are basically uh, reopening. And that's important because Australians, there's more Australians going overseas for a holiday than there are foreigners coming here. So if we haven't got the international story um, of people coming, then opening the borders means that from the tourism industry, there'll be actually strong positive growth. So uh, baby bonus isn't going to fix this. Vaccine and getting over the problem in the medium term, opening up uh, international borders safely, I think is much more important. So taking us back to think about the JobKeeper program and the JobKeeper supplement, um, and you have said that you are concerned about the long-term trend of the unemployment rate. I mean, are you nervous about March and April this year? We're slightly nervous about March and what we've sort of got built into our forecast is a, I'll call it a relatively flat patch because, you know, we've had 4% growth in the third quarter. We think 2% growth, a, a 0.5 to 0.7 probably for March. Uh, normally we would say that's great growth, but given that we're still not recovered from where we started, um, it's probably a little bit patchy. Uh, there won't be a lot of positive news from the globe around that period. But I don't really see the economy going backwards and we see growth accelerating from there. What we're really saying is we're hoping essentially the reopening process continues. It sort of proves to people that it's permanent and then the economy accelerates from, let's say, from March onwards through to the rest of the year. And you talked about the instant asset write-off being introduced by the government uh, and the importance of business investment. I mean, you know, the impact of, of having private spending uh, at the levels we've got at the moment and, and trying to encourage more and more into that space. I mean, do we have the right investment and employment strategies at the moment? Well, it's very difficult because as Keynes, if we can go back to what I was saying before, says what really drives investment is animal spirits. So, yes, you need to basically build a, an environment or a, a culture where people think it's worth taking the risk. I think the instant asset write-offs is a good idea because it doesn't actually change the level of investment that people are doing, but it changes the timing. And if you can get the economy growing faster, then sort of the demand is there and people get more in, more in the view that it's worth taking the risk. Um, and just at present, you know, people are not taking the risk. They're saying, well, it could be really tricky, use the March illustration, maybe a lot of firms are going to fall over early in 2021 and it's a great opportunity to buy things, et cetera, et cetera. So to me, they've done a lot of good things, uh, but now it's just trying to convince the business that it's worth taking the risk. 
We've seen businesses really innovate during this period as well. You know, some of the obvious ones where takeaway was coming out of restaurants that had never done that sort of thing before. I mean, that's a pretty simple one. But we've actually seen a lot of things happening where businesses are focusing on bringing forward their investment strategies, they're picking up digitization. I mean, what do you see as uh, what's needed to make sure that businesses keep thinking in this innovative way? Well, I think a lot of the trends as you go forward are going to be how do you do things online and how do you switch your business model um, to essentially cater for changes and there'll be a lot of changes. So anything to do with internet that's improving, use that. Um, the example I always use is everyone saying, isn't it great that retail sales is up you know, 10% or thereabouts compared to this time last year. Online retail is up 60%. Um, if you think about um, some of the innovations, we, we do an innovation annual report. And what we were seeing, particularly in the hard hit sectors, was really innovative behaviour. And so people were doing, you, you've mentioned, you know, the, the takeaways and all that sort of thing. You see the, what the real estate agents do by online auctions, et cetera, and you change your business models because some business models will be dead. Um, if I use the CBD examples, uh, if people are still using Zoom, then people that have got SME offices or SME operations trying to cater for workers coming back to the centre of the city, that's not that's going to be really difficult. They're going to have to try and deliver the service somehow more efficiently. Of course, most of us at home are going to be buying our coffees, et cetera, et cetera, um, or spending locally where we live. And you also get different effects on house prices in that environment. Um, it's doing pretty well in the bush. But if, you know, if you're in um, Melbourne, I might be quite happy to live in Bendigo and Ballarat and sort of commute as long as the internet works. Same thing in Sydney and the, if you like in the, Blue Mountains in Queensland, Noosa, Gold Coast, etc. So I think there's going to have to be a lot of changes in some areas um, and hopefully um, you won't just need a crisis to incentivize people. People will just say, hey, this is I can use these ways of working differently as we go forward. Now, the other thing is I think as a general rule, the Australian economy will be more interested in paying a price to get a supply chain that is more robust. So in the past, we've had everyone says China's the cheapest, so therefore we'll get everything out of China. I think one of the things the virus has said is, well, maybe I need a little bit of security. So maybe I'll do medical uh, research, if you like, um, and medical manufacturing more out of Australia. I'll pay a little bit more to get my plastics, not purely from China. Um, and there are some areas like agriculture and mining and parts of manufacturing, health, where Australia's are world leaders. And so I think there'll be positives out of the recovery process as well as there'll be negative. And obviously, as I said, one of the negatives for us is how do you deal with China? And my sort of short answer is you diversify. Doesn't work straight away, but it's long run, it's much better. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And AFIA has been uh, one of the sort of loud voices that called for the instant asset write-off to be expanded and extended to bring investment forward and to stimulate jobs and growth. Um, and we were really pleased when the federal government announced their manufacturing and digitisation strategies. Um, all of that's really important to, you know, kickstart economies and keep them going. And as you say, um, help businesses innovate, help businesses perhaps think about their supply chains in different ways. But access to credit is going to continue to be a really important part of our recovery. So back to basics. I mean, the core purpose of finance is to support capital mobilisation. So what else do you think the finance industry needs to do? Look, the finance industry, one, you need to keep supplying credit because that's basically an intermediation process. And, and basically, banks can be shock absorbers. So when crisis happens, you can say, look, uh, you don't need to pay us back for six months. You can have a holiday. You can basically say to people, look, your business model's broken unless you change things. You're probably better off permanently to look to some other business. But generally, uh, banks play a really important role. And I think one of the other issues, um, if you go back to the GFC, the big difference between Australia and the rest of the world is nobody thought any of our banks were going to fall over. And so the money rushed into the major banks. And at present, we're getting a little bit of that as well in the sense that people are putting their money in the banks initially as a safe haven, despite the fact that we're paying in a 0.1 of 1% for, for interest rates. And so what you're seeing is a very slow increase in demand for credit, but something like deposits are up 10 or 12%. And so that's what you try to lend back out into the community so that if someone has a good idea and is willing to trust their ability to convert that into a viable ongoing business, the banks will fund you. And so that's what we're all trying to do. Um, and very much at present, business credit is not really picking up, not because the banks are saying, I won't lend to you, but rather because there's no demand. Whereas interesting on housing, no interest at all in investor credit, but owner-occupier, particularly at the bottom end of the market, very strong increases in demand for credit there, and banks are fighting as much as they possibly can to provide that credit. So in terms of that story about consumer demand here, um, you know, is that story different depending on the size of the business? Like are larger businesses and smaller businesses wanting credit in different ways and in different times? I think at present they're all pretty much the same. We don't see a lot of difference. So we monitor the cash flow of large firms versus small firms, et cetera, et cetera. And there's not really a lot of difference. So most firms, be they big or small, have revenue increases around 5 to 7%. It's encouraging. One of the things we've seen recently is the dependence on JobKeeper to provide that uh, revenue has come down. But generally, revenues and demand for credit hasn't really changed across size of business. And so, I mean, you touched on before a, a little bit about your thoughts about what the next federal budget might include. Um, mm. But, you know, never let, never let a good crisis go to waste, right, Alan? Yeah, so so right. what, what do you want to see in the next budget to make things, you know, better and to really drive that innovation that you're after across our economy? Well, the first thing I'd say is don't withdraw the stimulus straight away. Don't make the mistake of trying to say, oh, we've got too much debt and therefore we're going to pull it all back and kill the economy. So that's number one. Number two, I think you should be looking to try and make 
it easier for business to operate across different states. So if you like, I know everyone talks about it, but red tape really is important to try and do that. I do, I do think that um, corporate tax doesn't help. You don't generate a lot of income, but if you've got a really high corporate tax rate, people are less inclined to invest in your country. And so that would help. And it looks like there's an element to start to change industrial relations as well. And anything that you can do to make the labour market more efficient, I think, is really good. Uh, that one gets more controversial but and probably is difficult, is more difficult in the political sense. But all those things that would try and help you essentially invent, invest and employ and make the economy run more efficiently, they're the ones that I think you should be focusing on. Productivity enhancement, huh? Productivity enhancement is all about it because that way you can run your economy faster, you can employ more people, and I always say the only reason I became an economist was I wanted my kids to have a job. <laughs> I'm sure there were other reasons for it as well. But yep. uh, So, look, just in wrapping up then, looking forward um, and really forward, I mean, what does the future hold? I mean, we've had people talking about zombie businesses, so hopefully it's not zombies attacking us. But what does your crystal ball say for you? What are the intergenerational impacts of this COVID crisis? And, you know, taking a note from you, um, I'm an optimist as well, so I think there's huge opportunity. What do you think our financial system can do to really really make sure we are a more resilient, inclusive and sustainable Australia? I think the finance sector has to basically be honest with their customers. And and they, well, basically, there's no point flogging a dead horse. But more importantly, you've got to be able to suggest how you can be innovative, fund innovation, not be afraid to fail occasionally and sort of act as a encourager, um, because if you you know think back and say what are banks here for? We're here to basically try and make our customers more successful, and if we do that, everybody's better off. And so for me, the finance sector is all about providing credit, providing it responsibly, and being innovative in um, supporting business uh, in terms of setting up new opp- opportunities. Well, thank you, Alan. Um, Thank you for highlighting the positives about where we are in our economic cycle in Australia and not ignoring some of the challenges that we have. And also, you know, dare I say, making economic theory almost sexy. So thank you, Alan. Thank you very much. The future of finance is here. That much we know. Be sure to tune into our next episode where we continue the conversation on creating change in the finance industry with the people that are making change happen. Let us know what you think. Leave a review or rating and tell us if there is someone you'd like to hear from or a topic you'd like covered that you think will shape the future of our industry. I'm Mel Carpenter, Executive Director, Member Services, and I'm thrilled to have you joining this series with us. If you like what you've heard, head to afia.asn.au to find out more or subscribe via your favourite podcast app.